0: Well, as you open up God's Word with me to the Gospel of Matthew, as indicated in our worship guide, our children are invited and welcome to participate in children's worship at this time with Mr. David and other children's ministry leaders. And so if that's something that uh, you would like your elementary kids to participate in, they can gather out in the foyer at this time. But let me invite you to open up God's Word with me to Matthew chapter 22. So we begin a new message series today, and as we just sang, uh, our God is great. He is great. He is good. Those are not simply words that Christians sing, right? But they're declarations about the character of our God, the God that we've gathered in the name of and for the glory of this morning, God is great, God is good, God is gracious, and He is worthy of our exaltation and our undivided attention and affection even now, right now. What a good reminder for us as we open up the very pages containing the written words of God. I mean, remember, what, what a privilege, right? What a privilege to open up our Bibles and to read the very words of God, the very words of Jesus, the very words of our Savior. As I think about that, I'm reminded that many of you perhaps are as well. About a month ago, we had... Uh, some missionary partners with us, BJ and Jill Sanders, that were here on the platform. They shared uh, about their experience among the Wantiquia people in Papua New Guinea, a, a remote tribe there where they learned. They've gone in to learn the language of, of people that had no written language. And so they began uh, developing a written language for them, ultimately for the purpose of translating the Bible into their language. Oh, how much we take. For granted, that we have the Word of God with us today. So let me invite you to hear the very words of our Savior, the very words of God recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. As you find your place there in the Bible, let me invite you to join me standing, uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. The Bible reads this way. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first And greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Would you pause with me for prayer? Father, we thank you for these words. Lord, your words, the words of our Savior. Lord, the eternal Son of God. The Lord of all. We thank you for these words of Jesus recorded in your holy word. Father, guide us now by the presence of your spirit that we might rightly understand them and apply them to our lives as your people living today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you've spent any time at all in church, perhaps not even in church, then you have heard this text. You have heard these words. This text contains what we believers, call the great commandment. Really, the great commandments, right? Because Jesus gives us two, implying that they are inseparable. He even says all the law and the prophets, meaning all of the Old Testament scriptures, all the Hebrew scriptures, hang on these two commandments. And these commandments provide a foundation for our present message series sermon series that we begin today titled loving my neighbor and so over the next few weeks i want us to consider what it means to love our neighbors i dare say that every one of us would say that's a good thing to do of course we should love our neighbors but who is my neighbor who are my neighbors That's, that's a question That our Lord, that's a question that Jesus answers, but before we can even begin to properly engage that question, we need to consider the first command. We need to to consider the the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. You see, in the context of Jesus' life, the context of His ministry, the the religious elite of His day, you might think priests, pastors, elders, scribes, Bible scholars, whatever you want to, called him, were out to get him. They were out to get him. They were out to trap Jesus doing or saying something wrong. And so they would often ask him questions to test his Bible knowledge, really his knowledge of the Scriptures at the time, which is our Old Testament. Questions about things like paying taxes to Caesar. Questions about uh, the resurrection. And now a question about the greatest commandment. The folks who are out to trap Jesus, were described here as the Sadducees and Pharisees. Two devout groups of Jews, often at odds with one another, but both practicing a form of strict adherence to the Scriptures. In fact, Sadducees means righteous ones. So these are the ones that they are called the righteous ones. They were the Jewish party of wealthy aristocrats and the high priestly family. You might think social conservatives absolutely bent on preserving the practices of the past. They controlled the temple and the sacrificial system, sort of the religious hub of the Jews. Now, the Pharisees were another group. They're also mentioned here. The Pharisees were actually a larger group. Then the Sadducees, the Pharisees, uh, typically controlled the synagogues, meaning the local meeting places where Jews would gather on the Sabbath day. So Sadducees, they're controlling sort of the central uh, priestly sacrificial temple system. The Pharisees then are often the ones that were charged with leading and teaching in the synagogues, which would be local outposts in every town and village that had any sizable number of Jews living there. Pharisee means separated ones. And they emphasized obedience to the law as the way to God. So Sadducees, the righteous ones, Pharisees, the separated ones. Now these two groups didn't agree on everything, but they stood together here to oppose Jesus. You might think bipartisan opposition to Jesus. And so they sought to get rid of him, plotting together, and then queuing one expert among them to question Jesus. Teacher? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus, of all the laws, right? Of all ten commandments and the various applications of them, which is the most important? Do you know? Which one comes first? Now, this was not a question of debate. In fact, every practicing Jew knew the Shema. Shema. Of Deuteronomy 6 that we looked at a few weeks ago on Father's Day that began this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Essential command, instruction, passage from God to His people that was repeated twice daily by faithful Jews and every Sabbath day as part of the Sabbath service in the synagogue as a confession of faith in God. It was a way of saying, God, I I believe in you. I believe this is who you are and I am committed to obey you. And so this is the response they were looking for from Jesus. Every Sadducee, every Pharisee and every commoner in Israel knew this foundational instruction of God. And yet these folks, were talking to God and didn't even recognize Him. Friends, this is a reminder for us, perhaps a caution, a warning for us, that you can know the Word of the Lord and not know the Lord of the Word. You can know the, the Word of the Lord, you can know the Word of God and not truly know the Lord of the Word. Did you, did you know that? Yikes! Which I don't know about you, but that really, that reality attested to by Jesus scares me a bit. It frightens me on the surface. This little interaction between Jesus and the Bible drillers of His day should perk the ears of every church-going Bible-reading resident of the Bible Belt in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, Meadowbrook. Oh, family, may we always be more Interested in knowing the Lord than we are in knowing about the Lord. Now don't get me wrong. We come to know the Lord through His Word. He speaks to us through His Word. This is why when we gather for worship week after week, we, we, we don't just gather and sing songs of praise. Certainly we gather and we sing because we're commanded to in God's Word. But that's not all we do. We don't just gather and have a... Service of singing, we open the Word because we need to hear from the Lord. We want to know the Lord. The Bible tells us the truth. Theology helps us know God, but theology is not God. We read the Word, we hear the Word, we memorize the Word, not as an end in itself, but as a means to know our God. Now this lawyer in our text, this lawyer was a Jewish Lawyer, meaning he was an expert in the Old Testament law of God. He knew the scriptures, right? He knew them well. But even so, imagine the irony here. So I thought about that and reminded me that some years ago in seminary studies, I had the privilege of using a book for Hebrew called Introducing Biblical Hebrew. A very basic introduction to a very different language than I'm used to. And that particular textbook was written by a guy named uh, Alan Ross. Now, you know who taught me that class in the classroom? Alan Ross. In fact, some of you may remember he's preached even here for us a couple times, several years ago, but this would sort of be like me uh, going home and studying the Hebrew uh, textbook just a bit, learning the alphabet, and then coming to class and say, uh, Excuse me, Dr. Ross, uh, you you got that wrong. And correcting him based on something I read in his own, his own book. Right? Here, this, this guy, this expert in the law is going to the one who gives the law, who gives the word of God. One of them, an expert in the law, an expert in what? In God's law, tested Jesus. Right? The eternal son of God with this question. See, this guy and other experts knew the Shema. No doubt they had memorized Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is who He is. They knew this. But they weren't living Deuteronomy 6-5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You see, to them, knowledge was more important than obedience. It was mind over heart. Certainly they had an obedience. They did. That was very visible, but it was an external obedience. It was about what they knew and what they did, but not about who they knew and for whom they did it. And the same is true for many religious folks today. Church, you can do the work of the Lord without loving the Lord. You can know the word of the Lord and not know the Lord of the word, and you can do the work of the Lord without really loving the Lord. Reminded of a prominent message in the name of the Bible, in the name of Christianity in our day, really over the last several decades, a prosperity gospel, a health and wealth gospel that has made much ground, certainly through TV ministries, but beyond that, some of the best-known names, most-known names, pastors and preachers that are saying much truth based on the Scriptures but twisting it in such a way where it's no longer truth. It's no longer about the Lord. It's about me or it's about them. It's about making a name for themselves, doing the work of the Lord perhaps without really loving the Lord. We think maybe some of the abuse scandals that have been exposed in the church. I'm talking about a sin here and there. I'm talking about those that have been deeply rooted in generations of sin, scandalous skin, sin that dishonors God in such a way as to say these are folks that are perhaps saying the truth of the gospel but not living according to it. Certainly have not been greatly affected by it. You can do the work of the Lord without loving the Lord. You can go through the motions and never be stirred in the heart. Friends, you can attend church, you can vote pro-life, you can quote scripture, you can give to charity, and you can still be far from God. And if that's your faith, not only does it miss the mark of God's desire for you, but it's also going to be rather stale and self-absorbed. I don't know about you, but every now and Then, before bed, I like to eat a bowl of cereal. And I think I came by this naturally because I remember just about every night growing up, my dad was, finish up dinner, he could eat, and then he would have a bowl of cereal. And I don't know how you um, categorize cereals, but there seems to be a couple different general categories. There's like brown cereals and shades of brown, and then there's colorful cereals. And I like I like both. I don't want to discriminate in that way. And so the other day... Uh, before bed I was a little hungry, a little munchy And so I went to the kitchen and I looked at what we had And I pulled out a box of Lucky Charms Now tricks are for kids, but Lucky Charms For grown-ups So I pulled out a box of Lucky Charms And I began to pour a box of some Lucky Charms into a bowl And I noticed quickly that something was off about these uh, Lucky Charms These were Lucky Charms and there were no marshmallows in these Lucky Charms And I immediately knew that one of my kids had been digging through the Lucky Charms because I have one little guy that really just wants the marshmallows and he won't eat the rest of the Lucky Charms. You know, they came in a box that said Lucky Charms and even smelled a bit like Lucky Charms, but by my evaluation, it wasn't Lucky Charms. The Christians, write theology, good theology... Paired with good works, but lacking affection for Jesus Christ is not the Christian faith any more than lightly frosted cereal with no charms as Lucky Charms, even if it's poured out of a red box made by General Mills with a sparkling rainbow across the front. You see, when God gives his people this most important, this first and greatest commandment through his servant Moses, he says to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. In other words, God was saying, Love me with your whole person. Give all of you, all of you to me, with all of you. Only then will you truly be able to obey the Lord. And the reason we love him, says we sang earlier, because he loved us first. Right, So much so that he delivered us from our Egypt. That he rescued us from our sins. That he brought us out to bring us into relationship with him. Jesus rightly answered the question. He rightly responded to the lawyer's question. Love God. That's the greatest commandment. But, you know, if you see God as just a judge to appease or as just a ruler to obey, you won't truly love him. Certainly, he is a judge and he is a ruler. He is the sovereign one. He is the almighty one, the almighty maker of heaven and earth. But he is also savior and he is provider. He's a giver and sustainer and redeemer of lives that have been broken by sin. And if you see him as such, if we see him as such for who he really is, then God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, will begin to stir our hearts to love him and to love others as a natural and inseparable response to our love for him. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second Is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the expert didn't ask for a second commandment, but Jesus gave it anyway. He couldn't help it because commandments one and two go hand in hand. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. You will love your neighbor if you love the Lord. You're going to love your neighbor If you love the Lord, if I'm struggling to love my neighbor, I'm struggling to love the Lord, for the Lord loves my neighbor. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. To love God is to have faith in Him and to delight in Him above everything. And friends, when we love God like This we naturally begin to love others, for not only does what's important to God become important to us, but we begin to see ourselves as the unlovable neighbor, undeserving, and yet receiving the unfailing love of our God. John says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. G. Campbell Morgan, the famous British evangelist and predecessor of Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel in the first part of the 20th century said this. He said, the second commandment comes out of the first is related to the first, not standing even in distinction from it. The second is like the first kin to it, belonging to it, the outward expression of it. You will love your neighbor if you love the Lord. And so will I. And so, Meta Jesus calls these the greatest commandments. But even so, don't think you can come by them naturally. This is not natural for sinners. Self-absorbed. Sinners, don't don't think like the rich men who told Jesus he had kept all God's laws. I've done them all. Yeah, I've done these since I was a boy. Yet who wouldn't give his heart to Christ. The truth is he hadn't kept them, not truly. Neither had the righteous Sadducees or the separated Pharisees. For there is no one righteous, not even one. Certainly not me and not even you. We too have broken God's law. We have failed to love the Lord with all our hearts and soul and our mind. We have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We have not done it. We have broken the greatest commandments. We haven't done it and can't do it. Not on our own. But here's the gospel. Christ has done it for us. Christ has done it. He has come and he has loved the Lord God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he always loved his neighbor as, him, as himself. Friends, we don't love the Lord. We haven't, and we don't, not the way God deserves, not as he has loved us. And yet he loves us with a steadfast love, with an unfailing love. Friend, did you know God loves you? He loves you so much so that he sent his son to to be your Savior, to be our Savior, to rescue us, to rescue us so that we can know and enjoy His love forever, so that we can love Him in return forever and evermore. God frees us to love Him and others with all we are. He frees us to do it. He enables us to do it. We can't do it. God frees us to love Him and others with all that we are. He takes away the guilt of our sin and the burden of trying to keep his law. Christ has kept it for us. He has given his life, his perfect life in place of us, and he has imputed his righteousness, his perfect standing with God to us so that we no longer hopelessly strive to obey the greatest commandments of God but rather joyfully love and obey the Lord as the Spirit of God impresses His gracious character upon our hearts again and again and again. God frees us to love Him and others with all that we are. So do you love Him? Have you been freed to love Him? You see, loving my God and loving my neighbor, that's what my Savior frees me to do. He invites me to do, but I will never love my neighbor if I don't first love my Lord. So I want to close this morning with two immediate application points for us in the coming week. Two things that we can do that we, by God's grace, that we can commit to, that we can lean into, that we can do this week. This week, number one, let's spend time with Jesus each day this week. Spend time with the Lord every day this week. Spend time with Christ every day this week. Let me tell you how to grow in love for the Lord. Spend time with Him. Spend time with Jesus. He's quite lovable. And I'm quite confident that the more we're with him, reading his word, conversing with him in prayer, considering his gospel, we will grow in love for him. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So let's spend time with Jesus every day, each day, this week, and let's see how God stirs our hearts toward him. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In the coming weeks, we're going to continue looking at Christ's words. We're going to ask the question, who, who is my neighbor? We're going to look at some different groups that I think comprise who our neighbors are. But for now, neighbor means neighbor. So Meadowbrook, let's pray specifically for a neighbor this week. Let's pray for a neighbor. Let's commit this week to spend time with Jesus every day. And let's also commit to pray for a neighbor specifically this week. As we spend time with Jesus, let's make part of that time praying for a neighbor. And as we do, as we do, I believe God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will free us and he will use us to follow our Savior's example and joyfully practice these greatest commandments. So, church, let's begin now. Let's pray that he would lead us. Let's pray that he would guide us. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would. Lord, that you would lead us, that you would be praised by us, that you would be glorified in us. And, Father, we acknowledge even now that we have not obeyed even these two first greatest commandments, the greatest commandment. Father, we have not loved you with all that we are, We certainly have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us for that. And, Lord, we also acknowledge that even so, despite our sin and rebellion, Lord, you have saved us. But Christ has come. And he has done what we could not and did not do. Lord, he has taken what we alone deserve and given us his position, his righteousness before you in our place. And so, Father, may that gospel truth stir our hearts and lead us to want to walk with you. Lord, to want to follow Jesus, to surrender to you, to spend time with you day by day by day. Father, lead us to love you. We want to love you because you loved us first. And, Father, may that love stir us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, guide us now by your spirit that we might rightly respond to the truths of your word, that we might give you the adoration and praise and submission due you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.